the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio at the Gas South Convention Center in Duluth, Georgia. Welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, proudly presented by NEMA and Sourced. And welcome back, friends, to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, the series that salutes and recognizes women leaders making an impact in our community. I am your host, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo, and it is my distinct pleasure to welcome our guest into the studio today, Melanie Connor. She is the CEO of Rainbow Village, which is a nonprofit organization based here in Gwinnett County. And I'd first just like to welcome you to the show, Melanie. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I'm very excited too. Share with our listeners who aren't local uh, mission, vision, and values for Rainbow Village. Well, Rainbow Village is a transitional housing program, but I like to say it's much more than transitional housing. Uh, we do work with families who are experiencing homelessness, and that includes single moms, single dads, grandparents raising their grandchildren, couples, uh, whatever the family makeup looks like. But we provide so much more than housing. We provide supportive services for the families, wraparound services for them. So we deal with their well-being, their financial um, stability, their, um, their education, their employment, all of those things, everything that makes a person a person. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes a family a family. And now what does that look like, um, the period of time that you – I guess, spend with each individual case, it could vary based on their needs. But what does a typical um, entry and exit look like in the program? Yeah, so it's really interesting because nothing's typical in this work, but families can stay with us for up to two years. So they have the opportunity. We're not a quick fix kind of place. We really want to dig deep and help them to... Um, Whatever their needs are, we want to try and address those things. And it's just like anybody. If you have family members that you deal with on a regular basis, they have different needs. And so we want to make sure that we're addressing the, the specific needs that the families um, have when they're with us. What does it look like if someone is listening and they happen to be in need, how they would maybe apply mm -hmm. to the program? So it's almost like getting uh, an interview or mm -hmm. getting a job. We actually have them call in initially, and then uh, Lainey, who is our lovely admin, will walk through an assessment with them and just kind of get some basic information. And then after that, the program manager, Rochelle, will call and do an in-depth phone interview. And she's just trying to get a little bit more information about their not only their need, but also their inclination to work the program, to take advantage of the opportunity that they'll have. And then after that, they come in for an in-person interview. And with that, they bring in paperwork, all the things that they need to try and get um, you know, situated so we'll know exactly what they have. And Because as you can imagine, it's a traumatic experience when you're homeless. Mm -hmm. And so we know that right now they would say, any, they'd say yes to anything. Mm -hmm. But we want to make sure that they understand that this is a program and that we, ha we do have requirements uh, for the things that they need to do. But if they do them, then they would take full advantage of uh, you know, the services we provide and their lives will be changed. So if you follow the recipe, then yes. you'll have success. That's exactly right. I myself follow very closely and I'm also very passionate. I serve on the board of family promise. Yeah. And this is a very real issue within all of our communities. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that you necessarily see. Right. Like we were just talking about, right. um, in inner city, mm -hmm. you might see more homelessness, but this homelessness is, I don't want to say well hidden, yeah. but it's, it's not just, um, you know, available for the naked eye. Right. It actually it's called hidden homeless. It's, it's hidden an opportunity homeless. where uh, most of them, because they're single moms, uh, they live in the car yes. with their children, or they hotels. live in hotels, extended stay hotels. They live in, they may be living in an apartment in one room with mm -hmm. their four kids, that kind of thing. But it's it's hidden homeless. 
Now, for somebody who might not have the resources to even get in touch with you, a telephone or internet, access to the internet, um, can pe- do people just walk up into your office? Uh, people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not our preference, uh, so, solely because we can't always address. We're not an emergency shelter, and so we really don't want them to feel as if, hey, I'm homeless today, and I need to be able to get into an apartment today. That's not what we do. Mm-hmm. So it's really better if they can either, if they go to even another agency and First, have yeah. them give us a call, then we can work with them that way. Talk a little bit about the um, resources that you make available to the people within the program and who you partner with in order to accelerate the education piece or the financial piece and things like that. So we, on our campus here in Duluth, they can stay, like I said, with for two years and they have either a two or a three bedroom apartment. So each family has their own apartment, which is Tremendous. Exciting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and they get super excited. We have a move-in actually today. We, we have a young uh, family moving in today. But they get the two- or three-bedroom apartment. It's fully furnished when they move in, and it's all brand-new household goods. So mm-hmm. it's brand-new beds, linen, all of those kinds of things. We have donations from community partners mm-hmm. that provide that. And when the families move out, they get to take all of that stuff with them. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So and they're leaving with some furnishing That's for their exactly own right. place. Yeah, and you know, it provides a sense of dignity and then we we provide new items because we want to we want them to feel like, you know, hey, this is my stuff and these are my things and I'm going to take really good care of them because I can take them with me, with me when I leave. Pride um, of ownership. That's exactly right. So, you know, that's very, that's really key. And then in addition to the housing piece, we have success coaches that work with them on a regular basis that support them in their efforts for employment and education. Um, you know, we have uh, finances are huge. We really talk a lot about that. And so we focus on helping them to increase their income, decrease their debt, and increase their credit scores. And so if they can do those three things, we feel like they'll be really ready and, uh, you know, set to go back out into community. Uh, We have what we call a 700 plus club, Mm -hmm. where we're trying to get everybody to get to 700 or better on their credit scores. Um, And we have eight members of that 700 club right now out of the 30 families that we serve. Um, And we have one 800 uh, she's got an 800 credit score. Wow. Which is, yeah. Uh, I get put, people. Put uh, exactly. <laughs> I get people all the time saying, hey, I need to send my son to you guys. Yes. But it's really a, um, you know, we, we help them understand it because oftentimes they've not had anybody who actually walked them through why it's important. It's amazing. I apologize yeah. for interrupting. It's amazing how many, I guess they're called soft skills or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And you hit the nail on the head. If you didn't grow up in a household where your parents balanced the checkbook or created right. a budget, that's foreign to you. That's right. And then you're in your adult life and you have to seek out those resources or you're just kind of living right. hand to mouth or yeah. paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, doing the best you can because it's what you know to do. So mm-hmm. we're just trying to provide the skills that they need to be self-sufficient. And successful. Uh, and that's exactly right. And then you asked about partnerships mm-hmm. and so I you know, we would be nothing without our partners. Um, I have to start, you know, with Subaru. They're fantastic. <laughs> yeah. well, They're a fantastic here. partner. Uh, we actually are, have been their charity of choice mm-hmm. for their Share the Love campaign. And so, you know, through um, not only financial contributions, but they came out and 
uh, put up wreaths on the doors of each apartment at Christmas time. Decorated. You know, yeah, you know, did those kinds of things. They've brought um, animals and created a little petting zoo for the kids on things. They've, they're have they coming out and doing a Subaru summer splash um, for the back to school time. So they've been a, a fantastic partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, someone else I think that you may have met and probably had opportunity to work with was uh, Hilda Abbott with mm-hmm. Red Hill. Yes. Red Hill has been Fantastic. They've been fantastic partners with us as well. We just had two families that were with us at Rainbow Village who decided to purchase a home together. Wow. And so they just moved into a five-bedroom home in Winder, uh, the two moms and their three kids. Mm-hmm. And Red Hill was just instrumental in helping make all of that happen. They were That's the people a- who walked them through that whole process. Um, you know, the the, the uh, resident said, I thought this was going to be harder. Mm-hmm. And I was easy. like... But you had the right support. That's a really good idea for affordable housing. Oh, for Uh, sure. Two single moms who can, you know, kind of help each other out, especially their children would have friends. Exactly. And split the cost of of the mortgage. Things are, you know, housing is incredibly expensive these days. And so the, you know, salaries haven't caught up with that. And Mm -hmm. so it provides an opportunity for those two households to come together Mm -hmm. and split the cost. And it makes it affordable. Right. Yeah. Well, your passion is evident, Melanie, and I am just curious what roads led you to Rainbow Village. We were talking before the show, but I'd love for you to share with our listeners. I know you've been with Rainbow Village since 2017, and we are both faithful gals, and you do believe that the good Lord led you to this role. So I'd love for you to share that story with us. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I believe that no experience is wasted. And so for much of my career, I worked in corporate America. I actually worked for Coca-Cola for several years. And during my the end of my time at Coca-Cola, I had been honestly just kind of having some conversation with the Lord and saying, hey, you know, this is a great job. And you don't walk away from that kind of a job, at least back in that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to do something more. And so that's where you have to really be careful what you ask mm-hmm. God for, um, because I got laid off a couple of years later. And so Coke was very generous. They paid me for a year after that. And so I had an opportunity to really kind of sit and contemplate what I wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And so that led me to an opportunity to work for Zion Hill uh, CDC, which is a a, uh, nonprofit organization in East Point. Uh, but that they gave me an opportunity to serve as their first uh, executive director and to learn the ropes of what was happening. And from that, I actually had opportunity to reach out to Nancy Yancey, who was the CEO at Rainbow Village <laughs> at the time, because I we were doing similar work. And so I was like, just wanted to find somebody who was doing something similar. I can learn from them. She was very gracious with her time. She came down to East Point, met with me for a minute. And then we may have talked maybe twice um, over 10, 15 years. Mm. And then when she was about to retire, she actually reached out to me. She found me on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and she said, Hey, I'm retiring and would, you know, wanted to know if you're interested in the position. And I was like, maybe, but where is Duluth? <laughs> I don't even know where that is. So I had to pull out the map and remind myself of where Duluth right. is. And, um, but the, you know, everything was really already in place for that to happen. We mm-hmm. were thinking about selling the house where we were and my husband wanted to change. He's been pastoring for several years. He was thinking about changing jobs. So um, it just, everything lined up. It was just perfect. And so it was a great opportunity. And so you made the leap to Duluth. Made the leap to Duluth. Now you just glazed over something that I want 
I want to share. Sure. So I didn't know your husband as a pastor. He so, is. And you yourself are yes. a reverend. Yes, absolutely. That's so, exciting. Yeah. So he had been pastoring for 30 years. And so he, he's currently on sabbatical, mm-hmm. uh, been on sabbatical about four or five years. I don't think is it's... Is that the same as retirement? I think that's what that sounds <laughs> like. Uh, but he's actually teaching. Uh, he's a special ed teacher at Richards Middle School. So uh, second vocation for him, Mm -hmm. but it's a great thing um, that he's doing. And so this is my ministry, though. You know, people often ask if they think about ministers only being in the church, but Rainbow Village is absolutely my ministry. And it gives me an opportunity to do, you know, pastoral ministry even outside of the church. Well, and to the absolute degree, because you are seeing you're seeing the cycle of success. That's exactly right. So it's not just all, you know, just a, a hope and a prayer. You're actually putting the fundamentals into place. Right. And I, you know, honestly, you know, not to get too religious, but I do believe that it's the biblical model, mm-hmm. right? It is what Jesus did. He addressed things where people were. He dealt with their needs. Yes. He, he touched them. If they were blind, he helped them to see. If they were hungry, he fed them. So we're doing those same kinds of things at Rainbow Village. Well, congratulations to you and your team's efforts. I know that it takes it takes a village at Rainbow Village in Absolutely. order for you to have the success that you've had. Share with some uh, share with us some statistics. So, in the time that you've been there, how many families have you seen, if you could estimate, successfully go through your program? And and do you stay in touch with them afterwards? Oh, the, both great questions. So, we have about a ninety percent success rate. And success for us means that the families move out of our, off of our campus into their own housing. Uh, the other 10% typically are those individuals who just were not willing to take full advantage of the opportunity. They just, uh, for whatever reason, were not able to save money or do the things that they needed to do to prepare to move out. Uh, but the 90%, yes, you talked about whether we stay in touch with them. We have um, our Aspire program is the is the on-campus program, the residential part. The Thrive program is the alumni program. And so what we are attempting to do, because COVID, just like with everything, uh, caused us to lose you know, a lot of ground in that area. But we've actually started to build that up again, and we're looking to um, ensure that we're keeping up with those families for at least another year to two years after they leave us, because we've invested a great deal of yes. time and energy and resources into them. And we want to make sure that they fly. And that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And that, that, you know, is not just when they're with us, but even after they're gone. Thriving. That's amazing. Um, I just got just warm, fuzzy feeling over <laughs> myself. Um, so those who are listening, if you guys would like to learn more about Rainbow Village, just simply go to rainbowvillage.org. Yes. And I'm sure that there are um, ways that people can contribute, not only their time, but dollars and also some items that you might need. Absolutely. So we are always looking for volunteers. Uh, we have volunteers that work with our children in the after-school program. Rainbow Village Academy, as we call it, is all the out-of-school time. Mm-hmm. So right now, summer camp, medical, uh, the um, digital learning days, all those days when the kids are out of school, we have them so that they are safe and the parents know that they're taken care of. That's no cost to the families. So it's a huge help for them that way. Uh, We also, of course, like I mentioned earlier, because we stock the apartments, we're always looking for um, those kinds of household goods. Mm -hmm. We do have a a great um, young lady who works with us, Brittany, who will make sure that we don't get too many of any one thing. And so we make sure we get those things. We want to be good stewards of what we're getting. And then we're also always looking for individuals, especially we talked about this alumni program, the Thrive program, looking for mentors that we work with the families about six months before they're leaving our campus and about six months uh, after they're gone, because we want to make sure, again, that they have that kind of bridge of hope mm-hmm. between us and their going out into the community. Bridge of hope. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for sharing your experience and your success. And I do encourage all of you out there listening to check out the website and become involved, especially if you're located here in Gwinnett. Melanie, I'm going to kind of shift gears here, and I'm curious to learn a little bit about where you grew up and maybe your childhood, how you met your husband of 30 years, and you yourself are a mom, correct? Yes, correct. I also want to learn about baby Jack Jack. Oh, okay. yes, that's my baby. He's he's a little old man now, but he's my baby. Um, so everything that happens in my life is so, to me, it's kind of, you know, you don't think about it, but it just, you feel like it's just happening. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, born and bred. I'm a Grady baby. Um, you know, I say that to everybody and some people are like, you know, roll their eyes and I'm like, I'm very really, proud of yeah. that. Yes. So it, we're, we're few and far between these days. So i um, really excited about that. You know, I have uh, two brothers and a sister. I'm a middle child. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I have an older brother and sister who are like a year apart eight years between my sister and I and 11 months and two weeks between me and my youngest youngest. brother. Yeah. I was like, well, what were you guys doing? Um, but we are, um, you know, still very close. Um, keep in touch and everything. I've lost both parents. I lost my father just last year. Um, but you know, they raised us in a way to just make sure that we're able to take, to take care of ourselves, to be independent. Um, you know, I was a young mom myself. I had a, a child at, uh, 1920. And so I have a 40 year old son. Every time I say that, it's like, how is that possible? Um, but, uh, you know, I have a 40 year old son, um, who is doing very well, married, no grandchildren yet. They're working on that. But then I also have a younger son, um, who is, he was actually a foster son. So he joined the family at 17 Wow. and we, you know, and he's still with us. He's 28 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, even that happened in a way where my oldest son, Charles, was working for a um, group home. And Samori, my youngest son, was one of the kids at that group home. Oh, and so amen. he every day would say to Charles, I'm going home with you, Mr. Charles. I'm going home with you, Mr. Charles. And one day he did. Oh. And so we and we've, you know, kind of taken him in and he's mm-hmm. just been part of the family ever since. So. You know, that was one of those things where you didn't expect it, but it's been a blessing. Uh, And him just being in our lives has been a blessing. Uh, And he says sometimes, you know, because foster kids, especially at that age, are often not accepted into families. I mean, a 17-year-old boy um, would not have been something that I would have even thought about. Mm -hmm. But it was really a blessing for him and for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, you talked about Mm Jack-Jack. So Jack-Jack even came in a strange and odd way. Jack-Jack was my oldest son's ex-girlfriend's mother's dog. Track that. (laughs) (laughs) So my oldest son uh, had an Mm ex-girlfriend who got the dog. Her mom was moving away. Mm -hmm. She got the dog. She was allergic to the dog. He had the dog. He was living in an apartment at the time, didn't want to pay the extra animal fee. We ended up with the dog. Yeah. So now um, Jack-Jack is probably, we don't know how old Jack-Jack is. Mm -hmm. He's old, though. Uh, he's probably now about 13, but we've had him for about eight years. So Is he um, a mutt? It's, he sounds like he, he might be a, a terrier. He is a Jack Russell Beagle. Jack, okay. Yes. Yeah, there's some Jack Russell in there with Jack yes, Jack. Yes, yes. Well, it would seem that you um, have obviously a servant's heart and you are willing to take on a challenge, as you just mentioned with your youngest son. I do believe exactly what you said in your oldest Charles meeting him Mm -hmm. to begin with Mm -hmm. and forming that relationship and that bond. And then it just naturally, you know, carrying on into your entire family. Yeah. So talking about servant leadership, how do you kind of instill that within others? 
So your son sounds like he's very caring, Charles, Mm -hmm. and like he has some ministering in his background as Mm -hmm. well or mentoring. And now with your youngest, how do you kind of inspire and encourage them? Yeah. You know, I think honestly, it's really not, it's not about what you say, it's about what you do. Um, And I really feel like I have tried to be an example. My husband and I are both an example for our children as my parents were for me. I saw my parents do it. I saw my parents volunteer. I saw my parents give. You know, my dad would give you the shirt off his back, literally. Um, and so I saw that they would do that and still took care of their business, mm-hmm. right? They they took care of the things that they needed to take care of, but they made sure they helped other people. They exposed us to a great many things as we were, you know, growing up. And so I think I tried to do a lot of that with my sons as well. Um, You know, my youngest son, it really touches my heart when he says it sometimes because he'll say to me, if he had not joined our family, he would probably be dead or in jail. Mm. You know, I mean, and that's just, that's the biggest compliment, I guess, that he could give me Mm -hmm. is that he feels like, you know, the relationship that we have was so important that it helped him to navigate the world in a way that he might not have been able to do it if he had been doing it by himself. Um, And I think... You know, for, for staff and for others, when we talk about servant leadership, you know, we, we're doing, I started this group called uh, Sister CEO. Ooh, I like it. And so, um, you know, Sister CEO is really just a group of nonprofit leaders here in Gwinnett, some outside of Gwinnett, who come together. We don't have any set agenda, but it's really so that we can support each other. So, you know, I tell them we'll, you know, congratulate and commiserate each other, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it helps us to come together and share ideas because it is that that's that phrase is only at the top it can be sometimes and so this just gives us an opportunity to share and express and support one another because the work takes a lot out of you if you're sitting and constantly listening to you know oftentimes other people's problems uh, it can be exhausting yes and so you need an opportunity to be filled up again and so those kinds of opportunities are great for us to be Mm -hmm. able to come together and do that. And so just coming up with those kinds of things, you know, I'm a, I'm a Rotarian, um, you know, service above self. That's exactly (laughs) right. Um, you know, so just joining in and working with others who are like-minded and who want to change their, their little bit of the world. Well, you bring me to my next point, but before we dive into the power of networking and surrounding yourself with the right people, we're going to have a word from our sponsors. Okay. NEMA is a full-service logistics company that provides trucking, warehousing, and expedited deliveries for the paper machine clothing industry. They offer a full line of services, including delivery within the 48 contiguous states, Canada and Mexico, plus importing and exporting, air freight forwarding services, foreign trade zone warehousing, and many more services to handle your global logistics needs. NEMA is a proud sponsor of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women podcast series. We know running a business is hard. There are so many things that need to get done and you don't have the time, the resources, the experience, or you just don't want to do it yourself. At Sourced, we have your back. Office. We support leaders of companies with all their back office challenges that weigh them down. Whether it's accounting, talent acquisition, administrative support, marketing or human resources, our team of experts at Sourced will make your life easy and your back office effortless. To see how we can help you, check us out at GetSourced.com. All right, and welcome back to Celebrating Powerhouse Women. I'm your host, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo, in studio with Melanie Connor of Rainbow Village. And during the break, we just had a, a realization. Yes. I'll let you share. So um, the commercial was about NEMA, mm-hmm. and I was like, let me tell you something about NEMA. So 
NEMA is, of course, a supporter of Rainbow Village, but they have also helped my family because my youngest son that I was just talking about actually is a truck driver. He's an over-the-road truck driver. He's been doing that for the last three years. And I happened to mention it to Colleen, and Colleen's like, oh, we're always looking for drivers. And he was looking to kind of change his role, and so it worked out. He's driving for NEMA now, so mm-hmm. everybody's happy. and. <laughs> Always great when they're off the payroll, off my payroll, um, so they can kind of help take care of us. So it's great. Shout out to Colleen and Nima for not only supporting Rainbow Village, but also supporting this series that is so impactful. Um, Yes, that is just, it's miraculous how small the world is. And cheers to your son for getting that CDL, because that's something that he can keep and do for the rest of his life. It is. Well, and you know, he's the oldest of 14 kids. And so he actually has reached back out to four of his younger brothers and convinced them to get their CDLs as well. Good for him. Yeah. Now, about how long is that process? I'm unfamiliar with uh, acquiring that certification. <laughs> I think it takes six to nine months, something like that, um, and th- you know, for the training. And right. then they're you ready do to do the, the driving practice. Right. right. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to, to give Colleen and Nima a shout out and share Absolutely. that fun fact. Kind of going back to what we were chatting about before the break, we were talking about the power of networking groups, the um, importance of surrounding yourself with people that can relate to you and also lift you up. And I imagine in a role like yours, it's essential to have people that can empathize with what you experience on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. I could never even imagine in my wildest dreams what a day might look like for you. Yeah. So in forming that group and in participating in other groups here within Gwinnett County, what would you advise to anybody out there um, looking to kind of become involved with a worthwhile group? Who would you kind of point them to and what would you share about success for yourself? Yeah. Well, I would just say get involved with whatever you can get involved with. I mean, the chamber is great. I started out as just, you know, we started as a chamber member. We moved to Chairman's Club and all of that. Now I'm on the chamber board. So that gives, yeah, opportunity there, which has also been a tremendous, you know, um, connection point for me as a uh, leader of a nonprofit organization. Um, you know, the Rotary, again, great, uh, because you can send both to the chamber or Rotary. You can send out an email and say, hey, I'm looking for somebody who does this, or I'm, I need this. And within a few seconds, you're going to get some emails back that mm-hmm. will guide you in the right direction. And it's kind of like a neighborhood, yeah. uh, you know, sorts. These are all your neighbors and your friends, and you feel like if you get those recommendations or those levels of support from them, you know, that it's genuine. It's not something where somebody's trying to sell you something or anything. So, you know, I came here knowing nobody. Um, You know, the only person I knew when I came up here was Nancy. Um, And by joining those groups and getting involved and just getting out in community, attending Mm -hmm. events, participating in whatever I could, that's how I began to, you know, get to know people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just key. You have to do that get out there and shake some hands. That's exactly right. Shake a leg. You know, I'm trying to think of when I first met you, and I know it was at a Gwinnett Chamber-related event. You came here to Duluth in 2017, Mm -hmm. you say? The end of 2017. And I was just right behind you. I came here in 2018. So I think that that's how we actually originally connected. And now, several years later, we're able to remain relevant to each other through that. You mentioned something that I like to reference as my sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. And I know today that word is largely skewed with Instagram and people wanting to be an influencer. But just nuts and bolts of the word influence, sphere of influence Mm -hmm. you mentioned. Being able to send out that email and receive all those, those calls to action. I know that you too would respond if someone sent out the email Absolutely. to you. Yeah. So in surrounding yourself with quality people, what is important to look for? Well, I try to look for people who are just genuine, right? I mean, I meet a lot of people, a lot of different uh, socioeconomic status 
And the people that I like the most, or that I'm, I shouldn't say like, maybe. <laughs> Oops, I love you all. Uh, but the people that I, you know, am drawn to are those folks who are just genuine, very comfortable in their own skin, um, who I can see and feel the passion for whatever it is that they do. It doesn't have to be anything necessarily that is directly related to what I'm doing. But oftentimes when I'm talking to people, you know, once I find that passion, because we deal with families, Mm -hmm. there's usually somebody, even if it's not all the families we deal with, there's a kid or there's a parent or there's somebody that I can say, hey, you know, we have a a kid who does X, Y, and Z, and they would really love to, you know, I'd love for you to just have a conversation with them around what you do. So, you know, just making those connections and having that opportunity to do that, I think is really important. The importance of preparing the next generation for the workforce and for leadership roles is something that we think about all the time, or I do. Mm-hmm. I'm rounding 40, and I'm already thinking of, oh my gosh, my nephew. <laughs> how do you how do you prepare not only your children, but the people that you interact with yeah. for success in the future? You know, it's funny. So next week, I have, uh, and this is just a personal thing, but next week, um, Fresh Films is coming in, and they're doing a documentary on uh, the life of a CEO, or day in the life of a CEO uh, of a nonprofit organization. So it's, and it's actually teenagers. It's, I think it's the ages are maybe 16 to 24, but they're the film crew. So Mm -hmm. they do all of the work. They're going to do all of the questioning, Mm -hmm. you know, all of just like what you're doing right now, but it'll be kids. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things is just being a part of something like that. So Mm -hmm. they have the opportunity to, to do it. We also partner, you talked about partnerships with GGC. Um, GGC has their intern program. And so we've had interns to come in uh, to work with the uh, staff as well. So we can start talking about, because people think of, uh, you know, younger people sometimes, or not just younger people, people in general, general. will think about nonprofits as you can't make any money if you work there. Uh, no, you're not going to get rich at a nonprofit necessarily, but it's more than just the money. It's all, you know, you get to work with um, both your head and your heart. And I think a lot of young people these days really want to know that they're making an impact on yes. what they're doing. It's not just about the dollars. Mm-hmm. And so nonprofit opportunities are, you know, can provide that for them. So, um, you know, so we try and make sure that people know, well, this is what we do. This is how we do it. How can we get you involved? We, you know, we, from some of the churches and things like that, that we work with, we bring people, uh, uh, youth groups in so that they can participate with uh, some of the activities. So just really exposing them to what nonprofits do Do, and what nonprofit work involves. And then they can see that there are several different aspects of it that they can get involved in. I'm curious when you, um, when you became a reverend, Mm -hmm. what, what time of your life was that? So that was, wow. So 1997. Um, is when I, as they say, accepted my call to ministry. Uh, That was one of those, uh, you know, times where I knew I wanted to do something different and it just just kept tugging on your heart. This was one of those things where it's like, hey, you really need to, uh, you know, you're doing fine, you're doing great, but you really need to think about doing something different. And so my first foray into that was just, oh, I think I'll just, you know, I'll go to seminary and just kind of see and learn more and all of that. And so I did, uh, worked full time with the seminary, you know, full time, uh, Coca-Cola actually paid for it. Wow. That was awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, you know, was able to, to do that and, and learn more, um, and just kind of work through it, not only from a book standpoint, but also, you know, spiritually, intellectually, all of those ways, mm-hmm. um, and just work through that. And, and because I've always been that person that people call and want to talk to and mm-hmm. tell their woes. Um, and so, 
you know, counseling wasn't really my something I wanted to go into, but it gives me opportunity to, um, you know, listen to the story, but then also give them something more than just uh, uh, an answer, um, but to, you know, also to give them some spiritual direction mm-hmm. on those issues. Give them manna. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. 1997, so right after the Olympics here in Atlanta, yes. Georgia. So your husband is also a man of faith. Yes. How did that if at all, yeah. impact your relationship? Did it bring you guys closer on a whole nother level? Yeah. Was it kind of like, oh, I'm doing this and you already did this? Um, yeah. Lay it out for me. Okay, well, in the beginning, I was not attracted to that at all. <laughs> um, you know, when we first met, uh, we were both young. We both worked at Georgia Federal Bank, and he was a student at Morehouse. They had a program where they were hiring uh, folks at the bank, and so uh, he was working there part-time, going to school. I was already working. You know, found out he was a minister. I had no interest in that. I was like, no, 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 no. I have too much going on to do. Yes. Um, And so, um, but, you know, had the opportunity. That was one of probably one of the first times where I had an opportunity to meet somebody around my same age that was in ministry, but was still a normal human being. We have these thoughts of what we think a minister is, and we put him up on a pedestal and all those things. And so, had the opportunity to really just know him as a human being. And uh, that was the start of it. He was very you know, kind to my son, all of those things. And so, um, you know, we, we went from there. And he, again, had been called at a very early age. He was 19. Wow. Um, and so he had been, you know, in ministry by the time I met him for several years. Um, but when I, but it was great when I was moving in that direction because I had somebody to talk to mm. who had already experienced it. Right. And so I could say, you know, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And is this normal? And am I going crazy? And, um, you know, what should I do about this? And he was able to kind of help walk me through that. Right, so navigate. That was, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, do you think that that experience brought you closer together? Uh, you know, and maybe, you know, I mean, I think, I feel like we've always been close. We've been married now. It'll be 33 years 33. in, yeah, in September and I can honestly say, you know, we've not had um, those times where we've no, no, no talk of divorce, no walking away. I mean, we were in it from the beginning mm-hmm. and we're still in it, you know, as strongly. And I think if anything, over time, the relationship has, has grown. Um, you know, we lived in two different houses for 13 years of that, 33 mm. years, because as he was doing ministry in Columbus, I was still in Atlanta. And so we would see each other on weekends and all of that. Wow. And the whole absence makes the heart grow fonder. Maybe that helped a little Truly, bit as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, I just feel like we've, we've had a really strong uh, bond from the beginning. And I think it just gets stronger every day. This is a totally selfish question. Yeah. I admire your 33 years of marriage, and I myself am a newlywed. Oh, congratulations. Shout out to my husband who's watching yes. the show. For someone like myself, yeah. what would you advise in the first few years of marriage to um, kind of set you up for continual success yeah. up to and yeah. beyond 33 years? Yeah. So one of the things that my brother-in-law said to me, well, you know, they did a video, and they asked everybody for marriage advice or whatever, and uh, one of the things that he said on the video that kind of stuck with me, it was very simple, but all he said was, you know, it's not going to be all roses, but it'll be all right. Oh. And, you know, what I thought about that is that stuff is going to happen. You're going to grow. We were both very young when we got married. You know, as we grow and learn and change, we have to figure out how do we navigate that together, you know, still be individuals, but talk to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I feel like communication is the biggest key to everything you have to talk about it you have to tell them 
you know, what you're thinking, how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I learned very early on that men, excuse the men in the room, mm-hmm. uh, don't take hints, right? So I have to tell them, right? If I say, oh my gosh, the trash is running over, and he would just say, yeah, it sure is, and keep going, right? So, but if I say, hey, will you take the trash out, babe? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So he would do that, right? So just had to learn that, right? There's some differences in the way we communicate mm-hmm. and just trying to figure out what works best um, for that so that everybody, and, and to also not just do all the talking, but to listen. To listen. Um, so that, you know, both partners feel heard. I think that's very important as well. Even if you don't really care about what they're talking about. But, you know, but but his interests, some of his interests have become mine. Some of my interests have become his. Huh. And so we, we work it out. Now they're mutual interests. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, having to do listening versus filling all all the time with conversation, I have to do that intentionally. Right. So I turn my ears on, <laughs> and then we'll be listening. Um, I wrote down some of the things you said, Melanie, and one thing that you said earlier stuck with me. And you said no experience is mm-hmm. wasted. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about an experience that you've had that has not gone to waste. Yeah. Well, you know what? I looked back over. Um, you know, my life recently, I turned 60 this year. So this is my 60th year. So it's all the year of, you know, reflection and all of that. And um, I've been tremendously blessed to be in sometimes just the right place at the right time. Um, You know, I look back over several of the jobs that I've had, and I've gotten it because somebody else called me and said, hey, there's a job at Georgia Federal Bank. I started there when I was you know, 18, 19 years old, because a neighbor called me and said, do you want a job for six weeks? Supposedly, I was there for 13 years, um, you know, doing some things. So I did that. The job that I got at Coca-Cola, I got that because of somebody that I worked with at Georgia Federal Bank had gone to Coca-Cola, and he called me and said, mm-hmm. there's a job here at Coke. Are you interested? And I got that job. The job that I'm doing right now, right. I got this job because somebody, because Nancy called me. So mm-hmm. I don't, you know, and people say, well, how did you? And I, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I'm doing anything um, specific, mm-hmm. but obviously, but I'm grateful that whatever it is that people call my name, mm-hmm. you know, that people think about me. Um, you know, I just try to be kind to people when I meet them. And I think that that pays off. And so, you know, those experiences to me are just opportunities. I mean, I don't think anything. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, why in the heck did I do that? You know, or why, why am I doing this? Or how did I get into this situation? But everything, you know, it, it's a cumulative um, opportunity. All of the things that I've experienced in my life bring me to this are you point. Are Yes. Right. You know, being a young mom was beneficial because now I can talk to other young moms and Absolutely. tell them I truly understand what they're dealing with. Mm. Um, you know, getting married young versus getting married and you know older. I just had a girlfriend got married first first time at fifty one. So hey, you know we're having to her. talk about that, right? So you know there are those kinds of things. But every little experience for me, there's something in it. If there's mm. something that happens, and I'm like, why in the world is this happening, or how did I get into this situation? But I look back on it and I see that there's opportunity for me to use that, you know, use something that I learned from that opportunity. Hmm. It sounds like you've been answering the call your whole life. Yeah. Answering the call, your calling in 1997, answering the call for your marriage, answering the call for all the roles that you just mentioned and answering your calling from above. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like everything that is, um, my husband and I talk about this all the time, all of the big decisions we've had to make, 
have, you know, again, feeling honestly that God has just orchestrated a lot of that. And so we haven't had to think about it. Oh, we like this house. Let's buy it. Oh, let's move to Duluth. Oh, let's do this. Let's do that. Now, we can't decide what to have for dinner <laughs> every night. But, but the we big can, stuff. Yes. But the big <laughs> stuff, no, no problem. But, you know, I just feel like for me, honestly, the bigger it is, you know, what we're getting ready to do at Rainbow Village even and, and the growth and expansion we're trying to do with them, it's going to be a huge project, but it's not my project. Right. This is something bigger than me. And so everything that I get into, I feel like if I if it's bigger than me, then it's big. God is in it. Absolutely. Um, And so I don't have to worry about it because I'm feeling like it's going to be taken care of. You brought um, something up that I did want you to share. So tell our listeners what they can they can be on the lookout for as far as your expansion. Yeah. So we are. I'm super excited about the opportunity. Uh, There's a lot right next door to our current campus that we have under contract right now trying to go through some rezoning. Don't feel it. We'll have any issues with that. But it will allow us to expand. We currently can serve 30 families at a time. Uh, if When we're able to get this project off the ground, it will allow us to serve somewhere between 36 and 48 additional families. So we'll be able to more Addition, than In addition to the original 30? In addition 30? to the original 30, wow. we'll have an additional 36 to 48 families. So we'll more than double mm-hmm. the number of families that we're able to serve right next door to where we are right now. And so it, it's just a fantastic opportunity. Is that something that you guys have budgeted for for several years? Obviously, you're you're trying to find the the, the perfect you know situation the, to suit your needs, but it's not like you're swimming in dough. No. So you've had to make preparations for this well in advance. Well, I see. Again, it's one of those things. Um, it was it was an opportunity. Um, I started speaking with the owner of that property probably two, three years ago, mm-hmm. and she didn't want to sell. So when the district apartments were built, they tried to buy it from her, she wouldn't sell. Um, we've talked to her before, she wouldn't sell. And then all of a sudden, last year, around September, October, a sign pops up in the yard that for says sale. it's for sale. And she was doing it herself, um, had conversations with her over those next six months. We were able to finally get it under contract. And, uh, you know, so no, we don't, ha- we don't have the money in the bank to do all of the work. We'll be coming back to the community, mm-hmm. uh, certainly to, to do it. Cause it's going to be a big project, but it's an opportunity. We, we can't, you know, I can't let it go by. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the proximity, uh, to our current campus is huge. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the opportunity for us to serve more families is just too, too much to turn away. So it's going to be a huge project. Could be you know, several years. Ten, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It'll take us a while to raise all the money. But for but doubling your yes, impact. Absolutely. Well worth it. Absolutely. Melanie, I have enjoyed our time tremendously. Thank and you. we have spent just all of it here chatting and sharing <laughs> the great news with our listeners. I want to give you a chance to share any final thoughts or words of encouragement that you might like to have. Yeah. So, you know, I, I meet people all the time who are <coughs> wanting to start a nonprofit. They, they come and they want to start a nonprofit. And I would just say, um, you know, before starting a nonprofit, go to nonprofits that are already existing, work with them for a while and find out how everything works, whether you're young, old, whatever it is, but get out, get involved in some way, you know, love to encourage your, um, you know, your listeners to come to Rainbow Village to, you know, we do tours, learn more about us and just learn how they can support families in the community. I've never been on a tour, so I'm going to come. You need to come. I'd Absolutely. love to. Well, for those of you listening and you do want to either check out uh, Rainbow Village on the web or participate in some way, do remember it's just rainbowvillage.org. Thank you, Melanie, for joining us today. Thank Again, you. I've enjoyed our time. For our producers, Mike and Dan, for our in-studio guest, Cameron, I am your host, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo, and we'll see you next time on Celebrating Powerhouse Women on Business Radio X. Mm-hmm.